0: For our sermon text for today, let's turn to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. I know it's a longer passage than we normally cover in one week, but it it is all well tied together. Chapter 17, um, it's on the back of the sermon insert as well. I'll go ahead and read chapter 17 of Genesis. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house and bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for revealing your will uh, unto our salvation through the prophets of old and for maintaining your word and preserving it and bringing us into contact with it that we might hear what uh, you have said the good news salvation that you have provided for us who have sinned. We pray that you would strengthen us, convict us, edify us, build us up unto holiness and comfort through this, your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis 17, we come to a theme that has already been a theme in the book of Genesis and in the life of Abraham himself, and that is the theme of God's covenant. God's covenant with his people, God's covenant with sinners, uh, that he has uh, bound himself to them uh, to save them and to give them blessing and life. A covenant, again, is, is an oath that establishes a relationship between two parties and it defines the nature and obligations of that relationship and binds them together to mutual fidelity. Um, when God makes a covenant with people, you know, people can make covenants with people. We find that in scripture too. Uh, But when God makes a covenant with people, he establishes a bond of fellowship with them. He takes them under his special care and he promises them eternal life and blessing. Man's sin broke the first covenant in the garden But God was pleased to make a second covenant, a covenant with sinners, a covenant through a Redeemer, a covenant through that promised seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head, a covenant with sinners through Jesus Christ, requiring faith as that condition to have a part in Christ, promising life and salvation in Him. Now, we saw that covenant first in Genesis 3, where it was promised that God would create enmity between His people and the serpent. Bring them out from his side to, to the Lord's side. And then we saw this again with respect to Noah and his household. You go into the ark, and I will establish my covenant with you and your household. But then more fully here with respect to Abraham and his household. we saw that in chapter twelve, where God made this promise that as Abraham followed him, that he would give him land, he would bless him, he would give him land, he would give him offspring, he would through Abraham bless all the nations. In chapter 15, these promises were affirmed and sealed by the form, the outward form of a covenant, a covenant ceremony that confirmed these promises so that Abraham would know that, yes, he was to receive these things. And that covenant was cut with the cutting in two pieces of animals and the presence of God going between them. God swearing an oath that I will give this land to your descendants. I will give you a a, a son. And Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness unto him. That this righteousness is a, a benefit of this covenant received by faith. All right, so that was some time ago. In chapter 17, we come to now 13 years after Ishmael's birth, and uh, Ishmael's birth was after that covenant ceremony, so it's been at least 13 years. Um, Ishmael has been born uh, through Hagar. We saw that last week, and now Abram is 99 years old. His wife seems to be 10 years younger than him, but uh, God appears to him again, and God reaffirms his covenant. He reveals more details, more fully reveals this covenant, and he gives a sign of the covenant. He seals the covenant by the sign of circumcision. It becomes more clear that this spiritual covenant is administered by God in history with external means of grace that God uses for the salvation of the elect. It's, it's in its essence, it is a spiritual thing that we, each one of us, receive by faith and produces this life, this new life in the heart of the believer. Uh, but it's also something that is administered externally, that there are signs and seals and um, uh, the, the word and sacraments that organize a people, a covenant people that is visible, that you can count, that is identifiable by these means that God has appointed. And God works through these external means to uh, bring this covenant to fulfillment. And so we we see that uh, begin to happen more fully here in chapter 17. But then to cut to the present day, this covenant with Abraham is relevant to you and to me because as Paul said, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to promise. Through Christ, all Christians, Jew and Gentile, are heirs of this covenant described in chapter 17. So it's quite relevant uh, to us today. The main point here is to, to walk in true piety before God as you rest upon his covenant promises and receive its sign. God tells you, walk before me and be blameless. And to support that, to to encourage Abraham, he describes again all the promises that he has made to him. And then he gives him a sign to remind him of this covenant, to seal these promises to him. In chapters 1 through 8, that's when the covenant promises and obligations are, are reaffirmed. And Abram is renamed Abraham to remind him every day now of these promises, that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. The the meaning of Abraham, Av or Ab, is the word father. Uh, Abram or Abram would be exalted father. Abraham sounds more like father of a multitude, and that would remind him. That's why in the New Testament, it describes father as Abba, which is the Aramaic form. Abba, father. Abraham, Abraham. He's renamed in light of this promise. Then verses 9 through 14, that's when the covenant sign is given. Uh, circumcision, then, in verses fifteen through twenty one a child of promise is given, uh, a promise of a child that 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 child through Hagar that that wasn 't god 's plan that, or that 's not what he meant when he was going to promise Abraham a, a, an offspring that would inherit the land, uh, certainly it was according to his providential plan, but that wasn 't his promise. There would be a son by Sarai, and Sarai gets renamed Sarah. Uh, Both essentially mean the same thing. Perhaps Sarai means my princess and Sarah means princess, uh, that she is a princess now of a great nation and kings shall come from her. Kings like David, kings like Hezekiah, but of course kings also like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 22 through 27, one of the reasons I wanted to cover the whole chapter, so we get to the end, that they obey, that they receive that covenant sign. They do that that very day. Abraham and his son Ishmael and all the men of his household, hundreds of them. You remember, he has a large household. He had 300-something fighting men that went with him when the time push came to shove. Uh, is, uh, on that day, this covenant sign is applied. And so that's the outline of the text. That's the chapter that we're looking at. But as we apply it, I want to first look at one Verse. In chapter 17, and that is where, at the beginning, God tells him, walk before me and be blameless. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Verse 1, let's begin there. We are to respond to God's covenant and his grace by walking with true piety. God's covenant binds his people to walk before him and be blameless. God's covenant is a covenant of grace. He does not require perfect obedience to meet the condition like he did in the garden. But having received this grace, it does bind us to to now serve him as the one who has bought us with a price, who has brought us out of Ur, out of the dominion of darkness, that we ought to walk before him now and be blameless. Because he is your Lord and your Redeemer, you're bound to have no other gods You are to be his alone, consecrated by this covenant, to serve him, to keep his commandments. This obedience is not a condition for entering the covenant, but a believing response to his grace. Both the covenant with Abraham and then when it's renewed with all Israel at Mount Sinai have the same dynamic here, that even at Sinai, God introduces himself as the Redeemer. I am the one who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Therefore, this is how you are to live with me as I come to dwell in your midst, as the tabernacle signified. Verses 15 through 21 describe... Oh, sorry, I skipped ahead. We're not there yet. Still back to verse 1. His covenant promises life and salvation, but it also dictates how the redeemed are to live with him. And so, in verse 9 where it says, you shall keep my covenant. Um, keep can also be observe. Uh, it's to, to live in conformity or to abide by that covenant, to embrace its promises and to observe his commandments. Now, he are, he's told to walk before him. In one sense, can anyone avoid walking before God? Certainly, God is present everywhere. You can't escape from him. So what does it mean to walk before God? Walk before me. Well, the, the word is used uh, to refer to consciously you know, living in God's presence, living as accords with being in his presence, and especially to walk before my face, to walk in my presence, to walk with me, to walk in the fear of God, to walk... Uh, in his ways with reverence and love. <clears throat> the phrase is used in 1 Kings to describe the, the, those who, who walk with God and, and uh, seek to follow his word. Uh, it's also used in the Psalms to describe our great hope that we want to, in the end, walk before our God in the life of light, uh, that we want to do this forever, to be in his presence, to dwell in the favorable presence of the Lord. The patriarchs did walk before the Lord. You know, uh, Isaac speaks. Uh, Abraham's speaking to uh, of Isaac says, "I have walked with the Lord." Uh, in verse in chapter 48, Jacob says, "Abraham and Isaac, my fathers, they did walk before the Lord. Uh, that they uh, did so, living in relationship with Him." And you also must walk before the Lord. The next phrase is to be blameless. That word refers to being whole uh, or sincere. Scripture connects the word with integrity, to be blameless to be to have integrity. Uh, it contrasts it with those of crooked heart, those who are deceitful, who are double-minded, who are hypocritical. Noah and Job are described as being blameless. It doesn't therefore restri- refer to strict perfection. Uh, But it does refer to true, to sincere devotion to God. That's why he said, respond to his covenant with true piety. Uh, uh, One that is not merely on the outside going through the forms, but but a a, a sincerity of heart. That one, even as you are in your private room praying to the Lord, that you are doing it not for the praise of man, but uh, for the Lord himself. The godly in general are called in the Psalms the blameless, In Joshua 24, it's translated sincerity. The people are called to serve the Lord in sincerity and in faithfulness. Even in the New Testament, Paul instructs the saints to live in such a way that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So God has called us by his grace, and he's made us a city upon the hill, which ought therefore then to shine brightly, to shine as lights in the world, to walk before him and be blameless. And verse 2 does associate God's covenant blessings with Abraham's piety. You know, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Again, this obedience is not the uh, perfect obedience required uh, to merit anything, but the covenant does require faith, and this produces true and sincere devotion to God. He doesn't give His covenant blessings to those who t- apostatize, who turn from Him, uh, whether they reject Him openly and go after other gods, or whether they profess Him with their mouths but keep their hearts far from Him, who uh, walk before Him in outwardly but live in unbelief and disobedience even while their mouth says otherwise. But no, he gives covenant blessings to believers, those who walk before him and serve him in sincerity. And so the right to glory, we might say, is received by faith alone, but the way to glory is that of a sincere and increasing godliness that is produced by faith. So I know that's a lot on that one verse. We have, what, 27 verses here, but let's not skip by quickly that place where its application is right there at the beginning. Walk before me and be blameless. Uh, this is God's word to us. And now look at how Abram responds. Verse 3, and Abram fell on his face. That is one expression of this true piety is the fear of God and the worship of God, that he responds immediately by falling on his face before God. Believing piety is demonstrated by reverent worship. He is God Almighty, all-sufficient for us, and one who, to whom we owe both gratitude and reverence. First, then respond with true piety. But second, what sustains us in this walk is that we rest upon the covenant promises of God. God assures Abraham of his promises, I don't know if you remember, but I've just summarized these promises as four. Uh, First, there is blessing and fellowship, this kind of blessed fellowship with God, rather than condemnation and judgment. And, And he assures Abraham that he will be God to him and to his offspring after him. I will be your God. And secondly, there was that promise of offspring. And again, God promises to make him exceedingly fruitful. Uh, to to save a multitude and bring them into the house of Abraham and expands that by saying that some of those will be kings, that this great nation will have kings to rule them. And of course, culminating in the Lord Jesus Christ, the king who would come from Abraham. God had also promised to give Abraham and his offspring the land of Canaan, and that's referred to again in verse 8. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. Again, a promise that is uh, expanded upon in, in detail in the New Testament, not only the land of Canaan, but an everlasting possession with our God, beyond death itself, even to the age to come, that we have a place with God. And then finally, fourth to make him father of a multitude of nations, to have this worldwide blessing through Abraham. And we learn more that he would have this worldwide blessing through Abraham by making many nations the children of Abraham, uh, that, they would, that God would include them in this great nation, this great household, and that he would be the father of many nations and not just one. Um, in Romans 4, Paul quotes verse 5 of this chapter, To make the point that Abraham is the father of us all, that is, the father of all who share the faith of Abraham, whether Jew or Gentile, God is saying that the nations would be blessed by becoming Abraham's children along with Israel by a shared faith in Christ. Uh, As Paul says in the Ephesians, that we are fellow heirs with the saints now. We who are those Gentiles who were separated from the commonwealth of Israel and had no hope in the world, we have now been brought near and become fellow citizens with them in one people, uh, one temple of God. And so the promise is fulfilled by Christ, who's now making the nations the blessed children of Abraham, fellow citizens sharing in the same rights and promises. Abraham is, is our father. He had many children. I am one of them, and so are you. Now, Abraham had probably thought that Ishmael had been the one promised. Ishmael had been born. God hadn't, until this time, said that the promised offspring would be through Sarah. Hopefully they realized, and they probably realized, that the, the scheme was not what they should have done. But not knowing uh, anything else, uh, certainly God had cared for Ishmael, had brought him back to Abraham. It seems what his hopes are still fixed on when God says that actually it's through Sarai uh, that I'm going to give you a son and, and bless him, and kings of nations shall come from him. Because he still says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And maybe he's also hoping, don't, don't forget Ishmael, even if there's another one to come. But God was clear that it would come through Sarah that Isaac would be born. Isaac means he laughs. We'll find a lot of laughter, in fact. Abraham laughs, Sarah laughs, uh, Ishmael laughs, not in a good way. But people also laugh when he's born That's uh, in joy for the birth of Isaac through Isaac not only came the nation of Israel, but also the Lord Jesus Christ. So God would supernaturally raise up offspring through which God would fulfill his promises. Now, the verse in uh, verse 7 is especially core to this covenant, that God promises to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Also in verse 8, I will be their God. If you want to get to the heart of God's covenant with his people, it is, I will be your God, you shall be my people. In Exodus 6, 7, God says, as he is about to bring them out of Egypt, he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And then later at Sinai, as God renews and reaffirms his covenant with them, he says in Leviticus 26, and I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Uh, He will not be an enemy to them. Uh, He will not be one who is seeking to destroy them. He will not be one who could care less about them, but he will be their protector, their shield, their great reward. He will have this alliance with them to bring them to life and blessing and even to dwell among them. As a, as a husband and wife have a covenant with one another and therefore dwell with one another and, and are bound to one another, so God binds himself to his people and he moves in with them. He dwells with them. And he says, you are mine, and I am yours. You can call upon me. I will call upon you to follow me. And we are bound together by this covenant. Jeremiah refers to this as a promise of the new covenant as well. Jeremiah 31, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So by God's grace, God establishes this bond of fellowship between himself and and between sinners, those who had deserved no rights of protection from God, who had spurned him and who had disgraced him, uh, who had disgraced themselves in rejecting him. Yet God saves them and gives him this fellowship. And so we should respond by giving ourselves to him and our children to be the Lord's. Even as he is our God, so we are his people. The fact that this promise includes not only you, but your offspring after you should not be surprising. That's how covenants worked. That's how uh, David showed uh, covenant uh, faithfulness, not only to Jonathan, but also Jonathan's house to Mephibosheth. That's how the Israelites, when they made a covenant with the Gibeonites, they were bound to be faithful to their children too, even to the generation of King Saul. That's how covenants typically work. Um, It is how God's covenants worked too. He made a, covenant with noah and his household he made a covenant with israel including their little ones i made a covenant with david and his offspring and so in the new testament he says the promise is for you and to your children that as he told the philippian jailer believe on the lord jesus christ and you shall be saved you and your house uh, that this promise is for you and for your children Believers enter into this alliance with God, with their households, as Joshua said when the covenant was renewed, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so the children of believers grow up with special obligations and privileges as God's people, being treated like the rest, as visible saints, as the people of God, as heirs of the promise. The covenant was still conditional on faith. Apostasy was and is possible, not just for children, but for adults too. Everyone is to be exhorted to to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to repent of your sins, to do not harden your hearts, uh, but rather to embrace him and to walk before him. And so, whether Jew or Gentile, the children of believers are visible saints, heirs of the covenant, set apart unto God by the covenant and called like the rest to stand fast in that place by faith. And so these are promises that God has made and sworn by a solemn oath by his covenant with his people. And so rest upon them. God freely offers this fellowship with him, blessing to sinners through Christ. And so rest upon God's promise to be your God. Take refuge in his covenant of grace. Rest upon his promise of an inheritance, an everlasting inheritance. Take confidence in his promise to multiply his church, uh, to make an innumerable host, a multitude of nations, uh, many nations to be the children of Abraham, that they would be blessed through him. We are still awaiting the greater fulfillment of these promises, and they ought to be encouraging for you. He does not speak of a tiny little minority in one corner of the earth but rather that this is for all nations and shall be unto all nations to save them. And to receive his promise to be God to you and to your offspring after you, giving yourself and your children unto the Lord. And that brings us to the last, to the third point that I want to bring, not only to respond with true piety and to receive, sorry, and to rest upon the promises, but also to receive the sign of the covenant, you and your household this sign of the covenant is circumcision. Now, what, is, uh, what was the significance of this cutting off of flesh? Circumcision is said in this text to be a sign of the covenant. Verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It was not so much a testimony to the world, right? That's sometimes how people describe baptism. This was a rather private thing. Uh, But it was uh, given to the person, to the believer, to assure that person of God's promises, uh, of that person's identity as part of God's people, to hold fast to the work of God, the righteousness that comes by faith and the cleansing of the heart that comes through his spirit. It would remind him of his obligations to God to therefore live according to that covenant. The meaning of circumcision is not a mystery. Uh, Paul says in Romans 4 verse 11 that Abraham, quote, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The sign did not regenerate him. Uh, The sign did not save him. It was a sign that sealed the righteousness he already had by faith and was a sign of that covenant. That was a blessing of the covenant. It was sealed to him, confirmed to him by this outward sign to, to confirm, to assure him. So justification, that righteous declaration upon you through faith in Christ is sealed by the sign. Also, circumcision pointed to the the cleansing of the heart, to cutting away the old flesh. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, says, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. It was to symbolize what was going on inside uh, to uh, something that you are told to do, to repent, but then also something that God does to us because in Deuteronomy 30, it says, "And and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And so this was God's promise to you and to your offspring and therefore to be sealed to you and your offspring by the outward sign. Now, it was a sign of blessing that is received by faith. If someone was circumcised and then grew up and then did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, did not believe in God's promise of redemption then it would do them no good. In fact, it would hold them to greater accountability that they rejected the grace offered to them. But even though it was a sign of blessing that is enjoyed by believers, it was applied even to those who could not yet profess their faith. The attitude was not, oh, we're going to regard you as unbelievers until you can prove by your works that you really are born again, but rather it was to treat them and their children as God's people. As those who had been saved until their works proved otherwise and they were cut off from the people but it was they were given the sign that sealed these blessings even those conditioned on faith and as the children to grow up were to embrace what it symbolized now the sign was delayed until the eighth day Uh, It's probably for practical reasons, just due to the nature of the sign of circumcision, that that was a better time for doing it. But it also probably for symbolic reasons as well. In Genesis, we learn that the world was finished or completed, culminated on the seventh day, so that the eighth day would speak perhaps of a new creation. It's perhaps significant that it was on the eighth day or the first day of the week that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, that we might be raised to new life. It speaks of newness, even as the old flesh is cut off. Now this sign was to be given to Abraham, to his offspring, but also to others too, right? Even to those who were not descended from Abraham, from the beginning. It was also for all the men of his household and all of their children, Hundreds of men and boys were to be circumcised, whether born in his house or bought with his money. Doubtless those old enough had already been instructed in the faith. It's not like these were total pagans. They had been in Abraham's household already. Uh, But the, the whole household is to be brought into the covenant and to be consecrated unto God and discipled in his ways. God claims your whole household. He doesn't just claim you. If you are to be the Lord's, then yours is to be the Lord's. Your house is to be the Lord's. As for for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that is not only a duty, but it's also given a sign of God's grace. Now, what is the relevance of circumcision to us in the New Testament? Circumcision, what it signified, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The promises of the covenant are fulfilled in him. Through his death and resurrection, sinners are uh, made new and justified. Scripture says uh, that the sign of circumcision belonged to the old covenants, no longer spiritually significant today. Philippians 3, verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Or Colossians 2, verse 11. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Or one more, Galatians 5, or 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. And so, circumcision is fulfilled in Christ. Certainly that any symbolism of the eighth day also refers to Christ and is fulfilled in Him. But the New Testament also teaches that Christ instituted a new outward sign uh, of the new covenant, that functions in the same way. What is that? It's baptism. Like circumcision, baptism is is administered once in your life. It symbolizes your engrafting into Christ, your cleansing in Him of sin's guilt and power. It's the entrance into that covenant um, symbolizing justification and sanctification. Uh, The beginning of it, to be born again. I didn't make it up, though. It's in Scripture 2, Colossians 2. After speaking of the fact that you have been circumcised already with a circumcision not made by hands spiritually through Christ, it goes on to say, in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. You have been circumcised, having been buried with him in baptism. Uh, That you uh, have this reality, and it's already been symbolized to you baptism. In Galatians, Paul makes the same point. At the end of chapter 3, he says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so like circumcision, baptism is the sign of the covenant, should be given to believers and to their children, to believers and their household. And that's the pattern we find in Scripture as well. When the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what Paul was taught, she was baptized and her household as well. In Acts 16, 30-34, when the Philippian jailer asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And so he believes and that he and his household are baptized. So a few points of application on the sign First of all, receive the sign, you and your household, as Abraham did. Different sign, same responsibility. Give yourself unto the Lord. Give your children unto the Lord, not only with the sign, but then acting upon what the sign symbolizes. Do not let the baptism of your children or even yourself be an empty sign, but disciple them in the ways of God. And use the sign well. Children, children who have been baptized, do not neglect your baptism. Do not forget your baptism. Grow in an understanding of what it means, uh, what it means for you. And fulfill that covenant. Uh, embrace it by faith. Profess that faith. The same faith of Abraham and own it as yours. Yes, I believe too in the grace of God that he has given in this covenant. Profess him before men that he might profess you before his Father in heaven. This is the way in which we then come to the table, uh, to the Lord's table, having made such a profession of faith. But that covenant has been sealed to you so do not neglect it and make it an empty sign. But as you grow in understanding, assume the responsibilities of the covenant. Express that faith in jesus christ for all of you remember your baptism even if you don't remember the event itself remember what it means for you remember the grace of god the gifts he gives the washing the cleansing that is uh, real that is given by god remember that you are engaged to be the lord's you have an obligation to him you are bought with a price you are not your own and so obey him and live by his word. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. Remember it and be humbled for walking contrary to the grace offered and the obligations sealed. That you have been baptized. You've been washed. You've been clean. And so often we feel like, like pigs that start wandering back to the mire. We've been, you've been washed. You are now a holy temple of the Lord. And so remember that. And let it humble you for where we have where we have doubted the Lord or where we have broken his word and repent. Renew your resolve to follow, follow your Redeemer and then draw strength from that grace promise to put away sin, to seek his promises in prayer. So in conclusion, God gives his covenant to his people, to sinners. Respond to this grace by walking in true piety before him. Rest upon his covenant promises. Receive the sign of his covenant, you and your household, which is now baptism. This covenant binds you to God, gives you life and salvation. It's guaranteed by God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the guarantor, the surety, the the mediator of this covenant. He has provided its blessings by his death and resurrection. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace to us that though you are high and mighty and above and is spread out, the stars is a great demonstration of the uh, majesty and wisdom and infinite understanding that you have taken an interest in us to raise us up out of death and dust and to bring us to glory. We pray that you would Uh, fulfill your promises, that you would make your church a mighty nation, a multitude of nations, that this nation would be blessed through the seed of Abraham, that all nations would be blessed. We pray that you would uh, bless each one of us to comfort us with your love and covenant, to help us to walk in its ways, to serve you as our God alone, doubly, both as our creator, and now also as our redeemer too. We pray that you would Be the God of our children as you have promised that you would bring them to faith in your promises that they might receive all the benefits. We pray that you would work this power so that from generation to generation we might recount your praise and give thanks to your steadfast love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.